Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. Good morning, church. Thank you so much for making it today morning. And as you've heard, my name is Benson Mambugu. Uh, I thank God that I am a son, a brother, a husband, and a father in the wonderful family that God has placed me. And if any of my family members are here, if you can just wave, so that at least I can just acknowledge you. Ah, that's my mom. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, at the same time, I'm also... Um, apologies for that. I also serve God within the agriculture forestry and finance sector as a professional, but more importantly, I acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I am a member of this church, and I serve in the training and equipping ministry. And uh, I also thank the pastoral board, led by the senior pastor, Reverend George Shiramba, for the invitation to come and share the word with you, of God with you today. So, um, as you have heard, um, we are in the process of um, sharing a summon series that is covering the strategic plans and the key priorities that are there. And uh, these uh, key priorities include uh, issues such as worship, discipleship, leadership development, fellowship, Uh, enabling structures and the community center and outreach. Uh, I would remind Vinny if you could just move to the next slide. Yeah, so you see those uh, uh, strategic key priorities being shared on the screen. And in line with that, um, today's sermon, we will be elaborating on the key priority or the pillar in the strategic plan that is uh, equipping. And equipping is defined as enabling effective and efficient engagement of congregants in the service of God according to their skills, gifting, and passion. And in my contention with this topic, you know, I realized that uh, explaining the term equipping is like trying to explain the wind. It's very difficult to say what the wind is, but it's a lot easier to explain it by seeing or witnessing what the wind does. And so in the same manner, my approach expounds on equipping in relation to the impact that it actually has in the lives of the congregants in this church. And in the same way, just like Jesus, you know, my, my message is not so much focused on those who are very successful uh, or what you'd consider successful congregant, but my heart really reaches out to those amongst uh, congregants in our congregation who are struggling. And um, I'm not really picking on anybody, but um, I formulated just four different sort of archetypes of congregants. And I um, wanted to share them with you, and hopefully maybe um, you can just question yourself whether they do relate to you. And the first one is about the indifferent or uncommitted congregant. Um, this is the kind of congregant who thinks, ah, you know, I'd rather really be somewhere else but maybe somebody dragged me to this church, so I'm here. You know, they're the ones who are very concerned about their comfort. 
You know, I usually have a particular seat. And if someone else sits there, I'm a bit unsettled about it. Or, you know, they're very concerned that they're very particular about how the ushers, how is the worship going, how was the worship leaders, the audiovisual team. And if they fail to perform according to their standards, they're very critical or they're very quick to point that out. And this is the kind of congregant who really asks themselves, really, should I give? Should I really commit to this church? I might as well just be here and be at another church the next Sunday. Makes no difference in their life. And the second time a congregant I want to talk to is the fearful or undecided congregant. And this is someone who, in their heart, they're feeling compelled to be involved, but should they? You know, they, um, they are, they're feeling very difficult to be able to connect with people. They, they do acknowledge on Sunday when they see someone who is familiar and just wave, but they really can't walk up and actually just say hello. They are the ones who are always passing all the sign-up desks right outside. And, you know, they are wondering sometimes that maybe they have a reputation outside they have that to uphold, and they're wondering, what will people think about me when they hear that I'm doing this thing in the church? Um, and they're really asking themselves, what else can I do in this church? They're really struggling with the issue of whether God is really calling them to be more involved in this church or not. The third kind of congregant speak to is the injured or disappointed congregant. And this is the congregant who has been hurt. You know, they are really annoyed with so-and-so, and they can't believe that this person is still in the church. In a position of leadership, that really crosses them, you know? They are the ones who are always feeling everybody else seems to be moving ahead with their life, but they're sort of stuck in this rut, and they just can't see how to move. They are the ones who have been hurt, and they don't want to put themselves in a position to be hurt again. And they're really questioning themselves. You know, should I really continue serving God? And when they really think about how much they've been disappointed, they ask God, why me? The fourth kind of uh, archetype is the burnt out or the exhausted congregant. And this is the congregant who says, you know, I'm, I'm really tired. You know, I have given all that there is and I really don't have anything more to give. You know, things have become, in their service of God, it becomes so repetitive and becomes so boring. And it's not longer challenging anymore for them to serve in church. They are, they're at a place where their service never gives them any more joy. They have no peace about it. And they're really questioning God and asking, you know, God, should I move on to, to something else? And those four archetypes that I've shared... I don't know whether you have ever had those questions, whether you've questioned yourself about it, and whether those questions resonate in your mind, especially in the still, quiet moments. And you know these questions, if you really distill them down, it really just comes down to around five questions. And these questions that you may be asking yourself are, you know, why should I give? You know, why should I commit to this church? You know, is God really calling me? Why has this thing happened to me? And God, should I really be moving on to something else? 
Now, these are questions that might also relate to other spheres of your life. Maybe possibly in your workplace, you're having a difficult boss. And you're really wondering, should I really be employed here? Am I busy? Should I be busy sending out my CVs to everywhere else? Or maybe you're even in a relationship. And that relationship is also a struggle. And you're wondering, should I really reconcile? Or should I really move on? And if you really think about all these questions, all these questions can really just be distilled down and summarized into one question. And that's a question of purpose. And the question is, what on earth am I here for? Now, for those of you who have been in this church for some time, this question may be a bit familiar to you because we've actually answered this question in a previous spiritual emphasis campaign that we had in the church where the whole church for 40 days studied a book known as The Purpose Driven Life, What on Earth Am I Here For? by Pastor Rick Warren. And in that book, which I will just give a slight overview, uh, Rick Warren defines five dimensions of purpose. And I'll list them, these five. The first, he says that you were planned for God's pleasure. The second, you were formed for God's family. The third, you were created to become like Christ. The fourth, you were shaped for serving God. And the fifth, you were made for a mission. Let me repeat them. The first is that you are planned for God's pleasure. Second, you are formed for God's family. The third, you were created to become like Christ. The fourth, you were shaped for God's service. And the fifth, you were made for a mission. So let's tackle the first one that you are planned for God's pleasure. Now, it is in God's delighting in us that we actually find the meaning in life that sustains us. This is reflected in two scriptures, Revelations 4.11, that I read, For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. And in Psalms 149.4, For the Lord delights in his people. You know, as human beings, there are things that we crave for and we naturally pursue. These are things like status, power, you know, affirmation, approval, esteem, respect, love. And we look for them in our careers. And like for example, we look for them in our jobs, in our careers. But sometimes it's a bit of a challenge because... In the course of a job, it does end in retirement. And maybe you have a high status, and now you're wondering, people used to call me all the time, now they don't. And some people go through depression because of that. Parents, some parents may not have been the best parents to us. And maybe we were trying to look for approval from them that never came. Children are only there for a time. When and as soon as they start their own lives, they move out. And you're left with an empty nest. Marriages go through struggles. Both good and sometimes bad. And all marriages end in death. Or unfortunately in divorce. Friendships. There are some friends that may last for you a long time. But many friends disappoint us. Businesses go through ups and downs. 
they collapse, you rebuild them again. And in many ways, when we are trying to look for all those feelings of affirmation, approval, because of what we have, the relationships we have, or the people that are around us, they may maybe satisfy us for some time, but they don't last. And maybe let me ask you, if you've ever experienced this, um, do you remember the first time that someone told you that they loved you and that you and that you felt the same way about them? Remember that excitement that you felt knowing that you are the most precious person in somebody else's eyes. Now, I'm aware that some of us may be still trusting God for that to occur. And if it's that is you, his grace is sufficient for you. But for those of you who have been fortunate to experience that, you know that that excitement does not last. And so I would want you to know that there is something that lasts. And just imagine how it is that you feel if God himself was delighting in you. He was expressing his love to you. He's one who is sharing how much he esteems you, how much you'd want to embrace you, how much that you mean to him that he gave his only son for you, for your sake. You know, God does not just express that delight just in a moment, and then later on it fizzles out. Neither does it last a lifetime, but it actually extends for eternity. And that is something that can be so precious if you've not experienced it. And this leads to my next statement, that God calls you to a close friendship and fellowship based on your true worship. And this is reflected in Psalms 25, 14 that reads, Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. And in Romans six thirteen, instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead and now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right to the glory of God. So God desires to be your closest friend, to be your best friend. He desires to spend time with you in communion and fellowship, just like he would for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he would come in the noon of day. And so you may say, okay, so how can God's delight and friendship really become real in my life? And the key is by reverencing God through complete surrender of your life to him, allowing him to take control and mold you into the person he wants you to be and so and to do what he leads you to do. And this is to worship. Now, the issue of surrender can be a big challenge for people. But you'd be so surprised that all over the Bible, surrender is one of the key principles in terms of how God develops a close relationship. Look at the life of Abraham. He was willing to leave his father, his mother, and everything that he knew to a land that God was leading him. He left his cousin Lot to separate and there are so many times that Abraham would give of himself. For example, he gave tithe to Melchizedek. And the more that he kept on surrendering his life, the more closer God came close to him, that God would call him a friend. We look at the life of David. David went through so many challenges that towards the end of his life, in the end of the first Kings, it's recognized that he says that David sinned no more. You look at the life of Job. 
that when the devil is coming, passing by heaven, when he's moving to and fro the earth, God is so proud and said, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how excellent he is? That God is so esteemed about such people. Because these people went through the process of surrendering and giving control of their life to him. Now note that surrendering your life does not just end in salvation. But it is a continuous lifelong process of dying to self through the renewal of your mind. As is reflected in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. So let's move to the second point. You are formed for God's family. Now, God calls you to belong to a family. And that's reflected in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See how much our heavenly Father loved us, for he allowed us to be called his children, and we really are. So I know that sometimes with families, uh, not everybody has a great experience. There are some people who grow up in orphanages or never even knowing who their parents are. But even if that was your case, that is still a family. And those natural families is God's way to be able to direct us to the spiritual family that he wants to place us in. And how is it that you enter and belong in God's family? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You enter God's family through the confession of faith in Jesus Christ. But this entrance is affirmed by God's family through the process of baptism. And in this church, we believe in baptism by the immersion of water and infilling of the Holy Spirit. So baptism provides the identity, like an identity card that you belong in God's family. But note that this, it is just as important that you belong in a local fellowship or a local church. Now, I know with the advancements we've had with technology that we no longer just have physical church, but we also have online church. And the online church is, is a wonderful way for people to be able to connect, share God's word. But what you also find the challenges with being in an online church is that you might lose the, the, the element of connection that comes by physically interacting with other. As maybe some psychologists say, the nonverbal cues that normally most human beings have as they interact. So it is still very important that even if you're connecting with online, be connected to a local home fellowship or people, other Christians that are near you. Why is that important? First, beyond keeping you from self-centered isolation, a local church affirms your identity as a believer. It helps you to develop spiritual muscle and to exercise your spiritual gift. It keeps you from backsliding and involves you in Christ's mission in the world. And we understand just like every other um, earth family that we have, 
Churches experience conflicts, issues, and challenges. And you might maybe have gotten hurt through or wounded through your local fellowship or your local church. God calls upon you to restore broken fellowship and to protect the church to the extent that you can. It is, notice that even in, if you look in nature, when a lion is hunting, it always looks for the gazelle that is isolated, that is limping by itself, that it doesn't have friends to warn it the danger is coming. And that's the way Satan always aims for us. So it is so important that you're not isolated, that even if you're, that you are connected in the life of the local church. And the local church is important because it is within that local church that you grow and mature as a Christian. So it is important that you protect your church. And we even see this reflected in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where God charges the seven churches of Asia to protect the churches through various actions. For example, the church of Ephesus, God reminds them that they need to love God and to love each other. The church of Smyrna was encouraged to persevere through imprisonment. The church of Laodicea was warned that it's so important for them to awake from their lukewarm faith. And the church of Thyatira was reminded that they need to keep on resisting the false prophet called Jezebel that was devastating their church. So it is so important that you maintain the fellowship and that you're connected to your local church. The third point is that you are created to become like Christ. You were called to become a Christ-like disciple. And this is reflected in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that reads, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. In John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It takes the Holy Spirit's work in you to produce Christ-like character in you. And that you are called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by applying obedience and faith to God's word in our interactions with both people and with circumstances. And the goal of the Holy Spirit is to help us to become spiritually mature as the Holy Spirit takes you a lifelong process of learning to abide in God's truth, being transformed by trouble, and overcoming temptation. Now, sometimes as Christians, we might think that everything should be rosy now that we have, we're in Christ. But we are not moved away from the challenges. God calls us to persevere through them because it is through those troubles that we go through. And it is through applying God's truth in very difficult circumstances that our character grows. And remember, God does not tempt us. The devil does. But it's because of the cravings that we have in our flesh. And God calls us to overcome that temptation. And that is the Holy Spirit working in you. It's not about you doing that in yourself. So you should make the whole issue of Christ-like character a key issue in your life. That you're looking towards growing. And the primary motivation of becoming a Christ-like disciple should be love. Love because God first loved us and extending that love to our fellow men and women amongst us believers. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
if we give ourselves to be crucified on the cross or to be burnt, but there is no love, it is worth nothing. So it is so important that as we are pursuing to be Christ-like disciples, our primary motivation should be love. Moving on to the fourth, you were shaped for serving God. And you actually have an assignment to serve God. This is reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. John 17, 4 reads, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. As Paul was busy settling the divisions that were there in the early Corinthians church, because some church members were saying, oh, we belong to Paul, and others were shouting, oh, we belong to Apollo. And Paul is reminding them that it's not about who belongs to who. All of us, we are co-laborers in the work in the same field. Our services are complementary because we are building towards the same thing. But we have distinctively different assignments. As Paul said, he was called to plant, and for Apollos, it was to water. So even as you serve in your church, you might also be with other fellow believers. And there are things that you are complementary in that you do in common. But there is a specific assignment that is only for you that God has called you to. And you need to discover it and pursue it. And how do you find this assignment? Examining your abilities, your giftings, gifts, and talents. First Peter 4.10 reads, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Ability speaks to your power or capacity to act due to skill, training, or qualification. A talent is a special natural ability. And gifts refer to the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows on believers. Now, God prepares and shapes us for our assignment through equipping us through a combination of capabilities. And this acronym shape, which is explained further in the book, you can buy it and read through it. And what does this shape represent? It starts with S, which is spiritual gifts, unwrapping your spiritual gift. H, which is for heart, listening to your heart. A stands for abilities, applying your abilities. P for personality, using your personality. And E for experience, employing your experiences. Through a close examination and growing in your knowledge and understanding about your shape, together with seeking the Lord in prayer and also seeking wise counsel from your local fellowship, this will help you be able to grow and be directed towards your assignment as the Lord leads you in that direction. So that is something that is worth pursuing because remember in that assignment is where God's blessings for your life are tied in. But be aware that you need to have the mindset of a servant as you're doing this. And what does that mean? It means being available, being attentive, being faithful, being resourceful, being dedicated, and most importantly, being humble 
as you continue in your service. Because it is not about inflating your ego or projecting yourself. It really is about serving God for his glory. And furthermore, learn. It is a process of learning that you need to be honest, admit, and surprisingly, to be content in your weaknesses. Why? Because it is in your weaknesses that the Holy Spirit is able to help you to fulfill your assignment. It is to remind you that it is not by your own strength that you do it, but it is by his power. And all that you do is for his glory. As it states in Romans 8, verses 26 to 28. So, we are all called to serve. We are all given abilities and gifts and talents. And it is a call on us to discover and pursue our assignment. The next point, you were made for a mission. And it's important to understand your mission. As it says in John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and a respectful way. There actually is a difference between your ministry and your mission. Your ministry in the body of Christ is your service to your fellow believers. But your mission in the world is your service to unbelievers. And your mission not only has eternal significance, but it also gives you your life's meaning. We, we know the contentment that comes when you are doing something that is so, you're so passionate and so well endowed to do it that you'd even do it without being paid. Whether we are called to be doctors, lawyers, engineers, or even just being a carpenter, a house cleaner, that if you're connected to your life mission, the blessings for God are there for you. So, you, so it, is, it is important to know that even as you do it, you are, it's a privilege to be able to partner with Jesus Christ in the continuation of his mission on earth just where it is that you're serving. And knowing that, yes, you might be serving unbelievers, but there will always be some opportunities where you can be able to share testimony or where they can be able to see the godly passion by which you do what it is that you do. You can be able to even to share a life lesson or even an opportunity to share the good news if a moment comes up. And that is really called about sharing our life message. That there will always be opportunities that come where you can be able, in your place where God has called his mission, to be able to share something with unbelievers. But you have to be alert to those opportunities and to take them when they come around. But it is important that even is that as we are pursuing our life mission, there needs to be balance in our life. You do not want to be in a situation where you're too holy or too religious to be of no earthly good. As it says in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, so be careful how you live. Do not, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Just like Paul, when he was sharing with the church of the Philippians, he told them that as a minister, he's entitled to their charity. But what he did is that he, he declined the charity so that he could be a blessing to them. 
Paul said that he was a tent maker. He used his hands to be able to earn an income. And so that with whatever that God blessed in his hands, he could actually use it to bless that church of Philippians. So it is important that even as we are doing our mission, we're not just excelling in the word of God, but we also need to be excelling in the life mission that God has given us. So remember that you keep your, your life balanced by continuously keeping an account with a small group and conducting regular spiritual checkups on the five purposes that God has given us from the great commandment and the great commission. So what are these? Point one, loving God with all your heart. That is your purpose to love God through worship. Point two, love your neighbor as yourself. That's your purpose to love others through ministry. Point three, go and make disciples. Purpose to share God's message through evangelism. Point four, baptizing them. Purpose to identify with the church through fellowship. And point five, teaching them to do all things. Purpose to grow to maturity through discipleship. And even is at, that we are doing our life mission, we should also be wary for the traps that the devil sets for us. Beware of envy, that you're envious that someone else seems to have something better than you. And also be wary of pleasing people because when you're trying to please somebody, then you're being limited from sharing what God has asked you to share with them. So do not let those traps limit you as you pursue your mission. So we have shared about the issue of purpose. So what does that have to do with the topic of equipping, which we started off with? Well, going back to the definition of equipping, and I'll read it again. From the 2023 to 2027 strategic plan, equipping is defined as enabling effective and efficient engagement of congregants in the service of God according to their skills, giftings, and passion, as referenced by those two scriptures, Ephesians 4.16 and Ephesians 2.10, which we've already covered. Now, the key priority of equipping is called upon to first improve the efficiency, meaning that we help engaged congregants to do the right thing. Second, improve the efficiency, meaning that we help engaged congregants do it in the right way. And third, ensure the congregants engage according to their skills, giftings, and passion. Now, note that our mandate is not to all congregants but only to those congregants who are in the service of God. So who are these congregants? These are, now one, congregants who are becoming Christ-like disciples. Two, congregants who are serving God in ministry. And three, congregants who are in their mission engaging the world. So if you do not fit in those three categories of congregants, then whatever it is that we're doing at in equipping department, that does not help you and that does not relate to you. And you're missing out on a great opportunity by identifying yourself and connecting with what God has for you. So a bit uh, more, the training and equipping department as the key department leading in this strategic pillar, we are intending to support member collaborators to become Christ-like disciples through training and mentoring programs such as Mizizi, Ombi, 
the premarital counseling, which you saw early on the screens, internship and pastoral training, and many other discipleship activities. Secondly, we're also supporting member collaborators in serving God through various ministry volunteer opportunities that are underpinned by the volunteer management strategy, and as well as the particular platform of curriculum development, where we are in the process of developing training curriculums and training courses to help members to be more effective. And third, to support member collaborators in their life mission through supporting community life groups, the Karura Ruth Sports Association, and many other affiliate ministries within the church. So I would like to recap the five dimensions of purpose that we covered earlier. And that is, first, you are planned for God's pleasure. Second, you are formed for God's family. Third, you are created to become like Christ. Fourth, you are shaped for serving God. And fifth, you are made for a mission. So as I call up the worship team to come and lead us in a time of prayer, I'd like you to note that as a congregant, this equipping key priority only becomes relevant in your life as you take the first two steps in discovering your purpose. And this being step number one, you accept that you are planned for God's pleasure by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And second step, you accept that you are formed for God's family. And that is by signing up to be a co-laborer in the community life groups, the ministry volunteer opportunities, and the many ministries and affinity groups that we have in the church. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ, or talk to, or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.